Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everyone. Thanks, as always, for tuning in uh, as we hurdle headlong toward 2024. Uh, we are taking some time to prep some new adventures, which means we'll have a, a couple more classics coming out. Uh, we'll do two a week for a little while. Uh, but Folks, believe us, they're all bangers. And this one is, this one's a personal favorite. I think it's something we talked about a lot off air and it eventually became an episode. Did Buzz Aldrin see a UFO? Did he indeed? He kind of started spilling the tea a little later in life, didn't he? Talking about some things uh, he, he recalled that he never really talked about publicly. Yeah, in 2009, he went on C-SPAN and talked about a monolith on Phobos, one of the moons of Mars. What? C-SPAN. That's where you go to get to get like clicks. <laughs> so let's, let's drop the news on C-SPAN. Yeah, the government TMZ for sure. But he just dropped it like it was nothing. He's like, he oh, really yeah. did. He really did. <laughs> and we saw in 2018 that different news outlets, not just C-SPAN, started saying Buzz Aldrin had some secret observations. And like you said, Noel, later in life, as a lot of people do, he became increasingly forthcoming about stuff that might have been controversial or still is, honestly. Well, and then and the, the, the scuttlebutt was like, has Buzz Aldrin lost his mind? <laughs> You know, is he sundowning? Like, what is going on? Or is there some veracity to these uh, these claims? Let's get into it. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know.
Welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We are joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccant, uh, which will be a very appropriate name for today's episode. Absolutely. Most importantly, folks, uh, thanks for dropping in. You are you, and you are here, and that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. A quick question They're, for all of us and then everyone listening as well. When you were a kid, did you ever think of being an astronaut when you grew up? I thought of nothing else. We have, we have talked about the fact that yeah. everyone went to space camp and me. Yep, and you got your shirt. Mm-hmm. It was too small, though. I know, I saw it. Sorry. But we can cut it up and turn it into something else. It's cool. Let's give it to my child. There you go. Mm-hmm. And maybe, maybe it'll get her to aspire to go to space camp on her own one day. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. And, and to crazy. your point, to your point, definitely. Being an astronaut, thinking of exploring the unexplored like that, mm-hmm. that I think that's a dream of a lot of people. Absolutely. It's a dream job. I mean, just imagine you literally go where almost no one has ever gone before. And no matter how abstract or inconsequential your mission might seem to the contemporary public – In a very real way, if you are an astronaut, you are paving humanity's path to the SARS. Even if you're the world's worst astronaut, which I think (laughs) we talked about on a previous episode. I mean, even being the world's worst astronaut, you're no slouch, right? Right. It's still pretty good. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But all the other astronauts know. Because I'm sure you think it's a, there's a list? Do you think they keep tabs? Oh, sure. Like Steve is the worst one. I hope so. I've been, you know, we've talked about this off air. I've been obsessed with this idea for a while. The idea that somewhere there is the world's worst astronaut. And because it's such a small group or a small community, everyone knows. It's like Steve or Derek or something. Mm-hmm. They're getting their orders to go on the mission. They're like, all right, this all sounds great. And go, oh, uh, one more thing. Uh Derek's going to be on the squad. And they're all like, ah. He's always opening his Diet Coke and zero gravity. Mm -hmm. Gets everywhere. Gets all in the instruments and stuff. It's not a pretty scene. Always hitting on the server at Applebee's by saying he's an astronaut. Mm -hmm. And then trying to get a discount. I mean, very few can actually use that pickup line and be speaking the truth. So we'll give give Steve that. (laughs) That's true. That's true. Steve and Derek sound like they are in a contest. I always picture the world's worst astronaut as Derek. But write in and let us know what you think the world's worst astronaut (laughs) Where do you think Buzz Aldrin ranks? Oh, he's near the top. He's a good one. As a a good one, yeah. Because the the level of entry is just so high to be an astronaut. Uh, And, you know, to be absolutely fair, the difference in degree between the worst and the best here is hopefully very small. Yes, they've got high standards. But today's episode is about astronauts. In fact, it's about one of the most famous astronauts in the world, Buzz Aldrin. Uh, Everyone calls him Buzz. His real name is Edwin Eugene Aldrin Jr. But, you know, Buzz, that's cool. Objectively cooler. Agreed. Objectively cooler. That's part of the – that's part of what they look for in astronauts, right? He was born on January 20th, 1930 in Montclair, New Jersey. His father was a colonel in the U.S. Air Force, uh, encouraged his interest in flight from a very, very young age, so much so that he graduated high school one year early, attended the military academy at West Point where he earned a B.S. in mechanical engineering. Joined the Air Force after graduation. He flew F-86 Sabres in 66 combat missions and shot down two MIGs. He was decorated with the Distinguished Flying Cross. He flew F-100s in Germany, and then he went 
back to school, earned a doctorate in science in astronautics at MIT, and wrote this thesis on manned orbital rendezvous. That's pretty darn cool, man. I'm not impressed. (laughs) (laughs) Not yet. Just wait, right? right, Okay. In 1963, NASA selected him to become uh, an astronaut, one member of their third group of astronauts. What a crazy time that must have been. It's like, Mm -hmm. we've got this new job, see, Mm -hmm. where we shoot you up into space. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about that? We're going to try and put you on the moon. Maybe. If that's cool with you. Well, actually, no, it doesn't matter. You're doing it anyway. They may not have told him, you know, but obviously this is what he wanted. Imagine getting a degree in astronautics. At that day and age, in the 60s. Now, I have a question. I know NASA is its own independent agency or organization. It's not connected directly to the military. But do astronauts have, like, are they commanders? Do they get orders when they're given a mission? Is it like, can you get court-martialed as an astronaut? Yeah, this is a good question because they can have a number of ranks or positions. There might be a mission specialist who has a scientific acumen that's needed. But there's going to be a pilot a commander, a command module pilot. It changes, I think, depending on the mission or the program. So like in Mercury, in the Mercury program, they just had a pilot. In Gemini, they had a command pilot and a pilot. And then if you go to things like the space shuttle, there's a payload commander. There's a flight engineer. Yeah, actually, I just looked this up. It looks like um, there are military astronauts, but they're technically, as a funny term, on loan to NASA. And they're still held to the standards of their particular branch um, of uh, like the Uniform Code of Military Justice, for example. Mm-hmm. That's fascinating. That makes sense, though, because there's not enough of a demand for people, right? We don't have enough spaceships to – to justify NASA having its own right. military branch. Yeah. Yet, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully. So, yeah, he becomes an astronaut and he gets another kick-ass nickname. This guy is so nickname-rich. He gets the nickname Dr. Rendezvous. Oh, yeah, man, man, that's awesome. <laughs> Uh, by the way, Buzz came from his sister, uh, couldn't pronounce brother, and, mm. and pronounced it buzzer. Mm. And so that's where Buzz came from. I was thinking he might have gotten it when he was a fighter pilot. But Got a no, much earlier. jarhead haircut or something. Now he's Dr. Buzz Rendezvous. <laughs> Which is up there with Mantis Toboggan, you know? <laughs> Did you just pull that one out of the ether, Ben? No, that's from that's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Oh, I don't know that. <laughs> that's great. That's right. uh, Yeah, Mantis Toboggan is a great one. Also a doctor, I believe. Uh, Yeah, he was the first astronaut with a doctorate. That's why he got the nickname Dr. Rendezvous. Additionally, he earned this nickname because he created the docking and rendezvous techniques for spacecraft in lunar Earth orbit. These were mission critical for the success of the Gemini and Apollo programs because, you know, once you get people into space, they need to be able to rendezvous and dock with things. Well, yeah, and especially if they're going to – send part of the ship down to the moon and then get that ship, that part back up to the main ship and then get out of there. Allegedly. No, I mean, yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, that's crazy stuff. You think about the math behind that and Mm. I just melt away and you can't, you can't find me for several days. No, just the precision involved and like everything has to be just so, the timing has to be absolutely perfect. Nothing can go wrong. I know. Just thank the heavens. Literally, that Dr. Rendezvous was around. Dr. Buzz Rendezvous. That's what – if we get him on the show, do you think he'll let us call him Dr. Rendezvous? Or is that like 
a term only other astronauts can use. Yeah, right. he might make a face. Have you seen his face? He, he makes a pretty intense stink face. Oh, yeah. He is, uh, he is not reticent about exhibiting his displeasure. <laughs> Because you know, right. why does he need to? Why does he need to play nice? He's done it all, man. He's been on the moon. Yeah, yep. He's kind of untouchable. He can. He could get away with a lot of stuff now. He could put out uh, a bad new agey spiritual album, and people would still say, you know what? It's not my favorite music, but he has been on the moon. Did we talk about the fact that he pioneered a ton of the training techniques used to train astronauts? Like, you know, you always see them training for zero gravity work in these giant pools. That underwater. was his idea. That was his idea. He, yeah, he did the underwater training techniques. Uh, he also performed the world's first successful spacewalk, which, if you notice, there's a weird caveat in there. The world's first successful spacewalk. Uh, This was on the Gemini 12 orbital mission in 1966. He set a new EVA extravehicular activity record of five and a half hours. And also, he took the first selfie in space. Yeah, he did. I love this guy. Just thinking about that, I really like this dude. I wish he was like my grandpa. Oh, man. Grandpa Buzz. Mm. Yeah. Let me sit on his knee, tell me tales of... Space mm-hmm. exploration adventure mm-hmm. teach you teach you the complex science of trajectories and zero gravity. Explain the calculus of space docking. I would probably be a lot smarter if Buzz Aldrin had been my grandpapa. I would, you know, even beyond a familial relationship, I want to just have him in my crew. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when I take group pictures, it could be like, oh, there's, there's, there's the gang. Oh, who's that? Oh, uh, that's. Dr. Rendezvous. Yeah, and he's just in the back. He's not even paying attention. <laughs> he's chilling. He's yeah. got aviators on. Mm-hmm. He's running the numbers, man. Yeah, he's running the numbers. He can perfectly throw things into trash cans <laughs> in an office from across the hall. Anyway, that's that's all uh, awesome and pales in comparison to the stuff that he did, especially on July 20th, 1969. That's the big one. That's when he and Neil Armstrong made their historic Apollo 11 moonwalk. They landed on the moon. He took the giant steps for mankind. In that warehouse in Burbank, uh, captured brilliantly by Stanley Kubrick. <clears throat> Maybe. No? Maybe. We should do an episode on that in the future. We always talk about that. Uh, fellow conspiracy realists, there are a couple of episodes that we always kick around off air and say we're going to get to one day. Let us know if you would like to explore the Stanley Kubrick and faking the moon landing we, concept. Uh, we did that episode on the movie, the movie that we watched. Mm. where it's fictionalized. Right, was it was called Faking the Moon Landing. I can't remember. That was a good one. Well, for the purposes of this episode, let's operate as though this were a real thing that yes. actually, in fact, happened. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll table that. We're, we're tabling all the moon shenanigans, lunar shenanigans, uh, for a future episode, but we do want to hear from you. Let us know what you think about this. We are conspiracy at HowStuffWorks.com. Couple facts about the moonwalk: an estimated 600 million people tuned in to watch. That was the largest television audience in history at the time. Mm. And when Buzz and Co. returned, they received the Presidential Medal of Freedom, 
over the rest of his life, post-lunar landing, um, Buzz Aldrin received the Congressional Gold Medal, tons and tons of other numerous awards. He has an asteroid named after him. He has a crater on the moon named after him. Uh, he is a prolific writer, writes a lot of children's books, mm-hmm. surprisingly. It was Operation Avalanche, by the way. Operation Avalanche. That was the movie. Yes. Yeah. That was the, the movie. The oh, yeah, 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 yeah. All about it. And do check out that episode if you haven't listened to it. It was a pretty good one. Uh, he is still an advocate for space exploration. And again, you know, he, he went on the moon. But there's more to the story, you see. More and more people and sources will tell you that while exploring space, Buzz Aldrin and his colleagues didn't just see lunar rocks and moon dust. They believe instead that he, along with his fellow astronauts, saw something startling and inexplicable, something that, if publicly acknowledged, could fundamentally change our species' understanding of the space around our planet and the universe as a whole. Are you saying Buzz Aldrin saw some sort of life form? We'll be back after a word from our sponsor. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. In the recent history of documentary filmmaking, one scene stands out above all. The hot mic bathroom confession of Robert Durst in The Jinx. 
Now the person responsible for that moment, Sereb Kaufman, stepson of the victim, friend of the murderer, star of the documentary, for the first time ever, shares why he believes you're watching the furthest thing from the truth on this exclusive episode of Murder Homes. Listen to Murder Homes on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Here's where it gets crazy. According to several different sources, yes, Buzz Aldrin allegedly saw a UFO in space. You have, if you, if you have any interest in stories of astronauts and stories of space exploration, uh, we are certain that you have seen this pop up in your, maybe your news feed, wherever you get your news or heard about it on a forum or something like that. Apparently, Buzz Aldrin saw a UFO. Yes, and this is not the first time that it was reported, but the latest iteration of something like this came on April 8th, 2018. Yeah, it was a British tabloid called the Daily Star, mm-hmm. and they reported that Buzz Aldrin and three other astronauts, Gordon Cooper, Edgar Mitchell, and Al Warden, they participated in this study, and we'll get into what the study actually was, but a study that revealed Buzz Aldrin, as well as some of these other guys, had in fact seen some kind of bizarre object or unexplainable phenomena in space. Right, with a specific quote attributed to Dr. Rendezvous, which I'm just, I'm going to have to call him for the rest of this show. Okay. Uh, saying, uh, allegedly, he said, there was something out there that was close enough to be observed, sort of L-shaped. Yeah. Yeah, we'll talk about that attribution, like you said. Yeah, so well, tell us a little bit about what what went down there. What's the skinny? What's the scoop? Okay, so the the test that they participated in was a different kind of lie detector test, not the one that you might be familiar with if you watch CSI shows and things like that that Mm -hmm. monitors your uh, specific biometrics of your body, your sweat, your – what your heartbeat, your heart rate and things like that. Um, Let's just get into it. So I'm going to read some of the – some couple little quotes here from the article. It definitely states that those four astronauts took part and they all passed this – whatever this version of a lie detector test was. And the experts say that um, the results show and that these experts are completely convinced that signs of alien life were actually seen by these gentlemen. It was conducted at this place called the Institute of Bioacoustic Biology Mm -hmm. in Albany, Ohio, according to the article. And it says they carried out complex computer analyses of the astronauts' voice patterns as they told of their close encounters. So that's, that's how they're mm-hmm. looking at these. And something that's really important to talk about, two of those astronauts that they looked at, yeah. Edgar Mitchell and Gordon Cooper, when they performed this test, these guys are deceased. Yeah, they're dead. So the story is at the very least coming from a misleading a misleading base Mm -hmm. because the way it's written implies that the astronauts were being analyzed in real time. Yeah. Or that they were speaking to the people conducting the study. And that is not the, that is not the case. And and here is something of great convenience. Mm. Here's another quote from the article. Although the technology is still top secret, 
These studies are claimed to be more reliable than current lie detector tests and could soon replace those used by the FBI and police. Top secret, huh? Yeah, it's top secret lie detector technology in Albany, Ohio at the Institute of Bioacoustic Biology. Things can be secret, but they can't really be top secret unless they're classified that way by a government. Yeah, and you're not going to have somebody writing anywhere, especially in the Daily Star, about something that is top secret. I guess a lot of non-government agencies use the phrase proprietary, like Mm -hmm. proprietary technology. That makes a lot of sense for what this could be. And we'll get into what it is in a second. Wait, so do you want to do you want to talk about bioacoustics? Or you want to hang on for a second? Yeah, let's jump into bioacoustics. Okay. <laughs> you sound so thrilled, man. Uh, it's okay. I, I'm I'm interested in this stuff and I want to know if there's any, I don't know, basis for what, what the things – what these people are claiming. But as of right now, Occam's Razor is – pointing me in an unfortunate direction. Let's just say, okay, you can go to bioacousticresearch.com mm-hmm. and you can learn about the Bioacoustic Biology Research Studio that's in Northwest Ohio. Okay, uh, let's see. It's an independent research studio and it's currently working on projects regarding PTSD and radiation. Uh, okay, so that's that's interesting. Um, it has references to the high radiation levels present in the sky. Mm-hmm. And let's see, if you go down on the website a little bit, you can see pictures of the studio that they've got here, their, their recording studio essentially. And it looks fine. It looks cool. Uh, but it looks like somebody's house for sure. Mm-hmm. And then if you continue going down the rabbit hole – you'll find a thing called soundhealthportal.com that is also related uh, to this bioacoustic biology website. Mm, but the we should also point out to be fair, just because something's operating out of someone's house doesn't delegitimize it. Oh, no, absolutely does not delegitimize it. Thank you for pointing that out, Ben. But it's um, it doesn't give it the same gravitas as, as if there is uh, – Spending by the government for right. anything like this. It doesn't show that there's a large number of people probably mm-hmm. working on this project. It's probably a very small number of employees or self, uh, self-made self recording and, and experts. And so the idea here at base then would be that using this proprietary or secret technology, the researchers are able to – I guess, mine things from voices that would not ordinarily be discernible? Because I I remember they go into medicine a little bit as well. Yeah. So, okay, here at soundhealthportal.com, it says, what is human bioacoustics? And it states, the state of your health is in the sound of your voice. Frequencies and architectures found in the human voice can be used to identify the innate mathematical biomarkers that represent states of health and wellness. Murph? It sounds... A little strange. Let's keep going. Frequency-based medicine is currently positioned at the top of today's alternative health options. Okay, so we're looking at an alternative health option here. Okay. Uh, Everything from homeopathy to uh, essential oils would be considered something like that. Mm -hmm. And then if you keep going down the website, you'll you'll see things like math matrices for each individual for your health and wellness, um, bioacoustic vocal profiling – which sounds fascinating. It does sound fascinating. <sighs> I think one thing that a lot of people have a problem with regarding bioacoustics 
would be that in other other aspects or in other parts of the web, it's also associated with the discovery of ancient wisdom or rediscovery of it. There's a quote from Sherry Edwards about this where uh, she says, novel research supports the assertion that ancient Templar cross-architecture contains math codes that support frequency-based medicine. The idea of revisiting lost knowledge through the use of computer-constructed biometrics provides a new paradigm that will change the face of future medicine. It sounds cool. It sounds really interesting. Secrets of the Templar, Dan Brown type stuff. And speaking of Sherry Edwards, she works with bioacoustics, and she said that the tests that Aldrin went through, um, she said that Aldrin is sure he saw the UFO, even though his logical mind cannot explain it. So with whatever testing she did, the top secret stuff, she was able to tell that he definitely saw something. So it's not a lie detector. It is in a way, I guess. I, I don't. I don't understand. So it's not a polygraph, I guess, is what we're saying. Because uh, yeah, yeah, usually when we say lie detector, we mean polygraph. Right? I mean, it's the way you're describing. It sounds like an everything detector. <laughs> it's it's looking at the vocal patterns of a person. So I'm assuming it's a, some kind of spectral analysis of the vocal. Like after you record somebody, it's some kind of spectral mm-hmm. analysis. And what are you saying? It, it can tell you things about your your health. Yeah, that's right. that's what it's. That's what the Bioacoustic Biology Institute is saying. And even even unto the degree of being able to tell you if you will have a, quote, negative outcome from vaccination. Yep. Based on your voice. And that's that's weird because it's bef- it, it's saying they can tell that before a vaccination occurs. Yeah. So that's the, the – this is the institute conducting the tests. And they said that uh, they saw UFOs according to – Sherry Edwards. Yeah, and it says that they all did. And if we go back to the article, it states that uh, Al Warden, who at the time was 86, was on Good Morning Britain. Mm -hmm. And he uh, he apparently claimed to have seen extraterrestrials. And he also believes that we're all descended from some form of ancient aliens. And uh, I mean, really, dude – it makes me want to go down that rabbit hole again. We've been down that rabbit hole several times sure. on this show and in our just daily lives. Um, but, you know, it's not just him. You also get Edgar Mitchell, who also had claimed to seeing uh, UFOs. I don't know. He was talking more about chasing a group of UFOs mm-hmm. rather than just a single one or something. And then again, the article claims that through the testing, all of these men uh, seem to be telling the truth and the whole truth. And nothing but. Yep. If this is true, it's it's astonishing, right? It's mind-blowing. And we have to contain our excitement and ask ourselves about the source. What about this thing? Does it measure up? Are there other sources that confirm it, contradict it? What do the people involved actually say? Yeah, what does Buzz Aldrin say? We'll tell you after a word from our sponsor. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. 
find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. In the recent history of documentary filmmaking, one scene stands out above all. The hot mic bathroom confession of Robert Durst in The Jinx. Now the person responsible for that moment, Sereb Kaufman, stepson of the victim, friend of the murderer, star of the documentary, for the first time ever, shares why he believes you're watching the furthest thing from the truth on this exclusive episode of Murder Homes. Listen to Murder Homes on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So going to this source, we see it's also been associated with a viral video that was describing this and got shared everywhere on Facebook and probably on Reddit and so on and so on and so on. But what do we know about the actual newspaper, the the Daily Star? So, yeah, I mean, it's what they dub a, a tabloid, the Daily Star. Uh, it's published uh, Monday through Saturday in the UK, and it's been doing that since uh, November 2nd of 1978. Mm-hmm. Can we just take a quick second to have tabloid? It seems like always a term of derision, like a term implying fake news or some mm-hmm. kind of uh, sensationalized um, flim-flammery. Is that how you guys see it? Well, it's definitely the motivation there is to sell more papers. The, the motivation in any paper is to sell more papers, <laughs> right? But in this case, the uh, – let's say the – the journalistic integrity maybe isn't as important and this is tough to even say about anything like this because I've never worked at the Daily Star. I don't know what the bosses there sure. say during their all-hands meetings. They, it may be they're telling the God's honest truth and they're like, why haven't we been killed? Yeah. Why don't people believe us? Bat Boy is out there. So it's, it is Bat Boy type stuff. Well, there are different grady, gradations, there you go. we that's, should that's, say, that's of tabloid. Yeah. 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 Uh, technically, a tabloid 
well, it used to not be a derogatory term. Mm-hmm. It's a format of a newspaper that's uh, not as large right. and is about uh, half the size of a standard newspaper and it has more popular reporting. You're going to see more stuff about celebrities. Yeah, paparazzi type stuff mm-hmm. and, you know, speculating about who's cheating on who. Bread like and circuses. That. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And in some ca- in a lot of cases, here in the States at least, when you go to the grocery store, you will typically see the tabloids oriented towards celebrities at the checkout line. Uh, but there used to be Back in the day, really cool ones like Weekly World Weekly News. Weekly World News. That's my favorite yeah, yeah. one. You don't see that anymore. No, I haven't seen it in Do a long time. Do they still publish? We should, we should find out. We should find out and see if we can get uh, our bosses to give us a subscription to it. Yeah. Would you guys be proud subscribers with me to the Weekly World News? Absolutely. I don't want it delivered at my house. It's still in circulation. Its circulation is 1.2 million. I think we partner with them and make a new show, guys, where it's just reading mm-hmm. the paper. That's it? That's all it is. We should write for them. That's a great idea, We too. should all get pseudonyms and write for them. Hmm. Buzz Rendezvous is unfortunately <laughs> taken. <sighs> Not to get too far off track, but it's kind of interesting. I'm looking at their site. Mm-hmm. It seems like they're a little more just into covering weird natural phenomenon. And a, and a lot of these stories that I'm seeing on the front page are, nah, never mind, got to one, six-inch alien. And Gwyneth Paltrow buys the Weinstein Company. So, oh. Yeah. Wait, did she? No, I don't think so. Fascinating stuff, right? So tabloids nowadays have uh, an aura of unreliability. It's That's something that we all associate with the term tabloid. And the etymology of that and how it evolved is maybe a story for another time. But in addition to being a tabloid, the Daily Star was the only original source that reported this. And the other outfits we found that were reporting it ultimately are going back to, at least in this case, back to this Daily Star story. And Matt, you brought up a fantastic point that we can't gloss over, which is that this is one iteration of a thing that's come up again and again and again since the first uh, first days of – uh, a spacefaring civilization. Right? Oh, yeah. Immediately after those astronauts landed, probably even before that, there were questions about what did they actually see? Yeah. And they have been – another thing that's different with this case is that people are easier to reach now. So various news outlets from the Independent to Australia's The Pedestrian reached out to Buzz Aldrin directly and said, hey – did you really say this? Do you believe this happened? Aldrin's spokespeople responded to the to the Australian outfit we mentioned earlier, the pedestrian, and they categorically denied the story and took it a step further. They called it unfounded and bogus, and then they added, we don't know where it came from. They had never heard of the Bioacoustics Institute. They had never heard of this reporting, and so – the official stance is, no way, what is that? And we can take it a step further. Buzz Aldrin himself was asked about not specifically this study, but unidentified aliens and spacecraft in a Reddit AMA, which is a uh, an acronym for Ask Me Anything, right? Mm-hmm. So we have a long quote from him here, and we can probably just split it up between the three of us or, or paraphrase a little. But he says – 
On Apollo 11, en route to the moon, I observed a light out the window that appeared to be moving alongside us. There were many explanations of what it could be, other than spacecraft from another country or another world. It was either the rocket we had separated from or the four panels that moved away when we extracted the lander from the rocket and we were nose-to-nose with the two spacecraft. So in the close vicinity, moving away were four panels, and I feel absolutely convinced that we were looking at the sun reflected off of one of those panels. Which one? I don't know. So technically, the definition could be unidentified. But we well understood exactly what it was. So are we, are we seeing a sort of a misinterpretation of the idea of a UFO, like in the parlance of NASA and astronaut day-to-day operations that could mean many different things? Right. Yeah, that's, that's a part of it. He, uh, he goes on and says that he was, I guess, taken out of context – or mm-hmm. his statements were taken out of context. And the, it goes further. Yeah, yeah. Series what he says. He goes, we well understood exactly what that was. And when we returned, we debriefed and explained exactly what we had observed. And I felt that this had been distributed to the outside world, the outside audience. And apparently it wasn't. And so many years later – so this was taken out of context basically. Mm-hmm. So many years later, I had the time in an interview to disclose these observations on another country's television network. And the UFO people in the United States were very, very, very – angry with me um, <laughs> that I had not given them this information. It was not an alien. <laughs> and he continues saying extraordinary observations require extraordinary evidence. That's what Carl Sagan said. There may be aliens in our Milky Way galaxy and there are billions of other galaxies. The probability is almost certain that there is life somewhere in space. It was not that remarkable, that special, that unusual, that life here on Earth evolved gradually, slowly to where we are today. But the distances involved in where some evidence of life may be, they may be hundreds of light years away. That's a great point. That's like the whole Fermi paradox thing that we've discussed on this show numerous times. So we can't get there. That's what he's saying. And they probably can't get to us. The odds are so low. Uh, So he's saying aliens do exist. It's very likely that they do exist, and it's highly unlikely that we'll run into them. So he himself is denying that he saw an alien and claiming instead it was a uh, UFO. And to your point, Noel, that just means we didn't know exactly what it was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It could have been uh, a million other things that were not extraterrestrial in origin. So in this case, it seems that the Aldrin story may be largely discredited. We did mention, of course, Cooper Mitchell passed, passed away, so they had to be using pre-recorded audio. They should have mentioned that. But there's something else here. What if Aldrin was not the only astronaut to see strange things in the stars? We know that during the Gemini 4 mission, pilot Jim McDivitt had spotted an object he described as a white cylindrical shape with a white pole sticking out of one corner of it. He took a couple photos of it, and he thinks it was unknown but man-made debris because near-Earth orbit is just full of space junk, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, But other people were saying maybe it's the second stage of a Titan II used in space exploration. And then in 2005, an astronaut named Leroy Chow reported seeing lights in a line, almost like an upside-down check mark. He later identified these as being from fishing boats hundreds of miles below. Oh, wow. So every a lot of the astronauts who see unexplained stuff have later come back and said 
here is the mundane explanation. Or is that because the men in black got to them? Or is that because someone got to them? You know, often when we hear that kind of story, the the crazy thing about about a group of people keeping another group of people quiet and intimidated, it become it's difficult to believe in most cases because it's usually a matter of keeping hundreds of thousands of people quiet. But the world isn't lousy with astronauts. There aren't that many. Correct. And especially that many that have been that far out. That's true. Actually, there's only a very small handful of astronauts who have been that far out. Have you met one? No. Do you trust them? Maybe. <laughs> that's a that's an inside joke for us from a previous video <laughs> yeah. where I think we ended it with, have you ever met an astronaut? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I believe we have. I believe between the three of us, we have met astronauts. Uh, pilots, though, pilots are a different story. And there was a story that recently came out in uh, February of 2018. Two airline pilots spotted a mysterious reflective ob- object hovering about 40,000 feet or 12,000 meters for everybody outside of Namibia, the United States, and Myanmar uh, over Arizona. And the FAA, the Federal Aviation Administration, is stumped because these were pilots in two different planes. Yep. So their perspective was different. Uh, The Phoenix New Times released an FAA recording of this. The sighting was 3.30 in the afternoon on February 24th over the desert near Phoenix. And no one knows what it was. You can read a great article on Live Science about this. Yeah, and if you if you call back to our Jeremy Corbell episodes, we've discussed several of these, especially the last one we did. We've talked about actual Navy pilots that have seen UFOs in the recent past. Uh, so it does occur on land or at least just above land mm-hmm. uh, quite frequently, these sightings. Yeah, and we have to be fair because just if one – just because one story turns out not to have sand to it doesn't mean that other stories are not true. Correct. And the last note we can leave you with here that that will perhaps send you off on a rabbit hole of your own is the following. In an interview with the BBC, head of UK air traffic control Richard Deacon claimed, we see a UFO a month. Wow. One unidentified flying object per month consistently. But that could just be an unidentified plane. That isn't responding to their calls. It could be a freaky looking bird, man. Yeah, it could be a lot of things. It could balloons. All, yeah, or classified aircraft. Mm-hmm. That's the one I'm most excited about. But let us know what UFO incidents you think hold the most sand, have the most grit, the most credibility. Right? Which ones haven't been proven to be? What's the old saw? A weather balloon, right? Yeah. We would love to hear from you. And, you know, it's no secret that space is weird. Along with the deepest abyssal plains of the ocean, space is one of the least understood environments that humans have ever experienced. And there are still tons and tons of unidentified objects being spotted in the air, under the water. We don't, uh, we don't know how to explain them all. It's a pretty exciting time to be alive when you think about it. It really is. I'm excited. Of and course. I, I think we would be good astronauts. Not me. My back. I don't think I could I think it. you'd be a great astronaut. Maybe the zero brace. Would, you could wear one of those like UPS guy back uh, brace things. Yeah. Surely they can build that into the spacesuit, man. That can be taken into consideration. All right. All right. I'll, I'll look into it then. We should try out. 
Okay. Do they have open on open casting calls, auditions? Yeah. I think it's the next uh, next iteration of America's Got Talent. That'd be cool. It's NASA's Got Talent. No, 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 this is really what the episode's about, but like, how do you guys feel? Obviously, there's a lot of nostalgia wrapped up in NASA. Everything we're talking about was just kind of stuff that happened relatively in our lifetime. And you guys are obviously hugely into the idea of being an astronaut. How do you feel about the whole like privatization of uh, of space travel and exploration and maybe some of the emphasis moving away from the way it used to be done? Are we going to see more guys like old Buzz Aldrin? Yeah, so there's a there's a fascinating and complicated issue here, which is the following. A lot of successful colonization in human history was essentially privatized. Dutch East India Company, hor- horrific company, very, very bad, did terrible things. But without that push toward privatization, it would not uh, – you know, the – path of history would have been much different and those expansionist forces probably wouldn't have been able to reach the places they reached and maintain the hold they maintained for so long. So privatization is the next. Also, I believe we're moving away from states toward corporations. So it's not inherently bad. In fact, many good things about it, but potentially Potentially, potential for abuse. Potential for terrible, terrible things to happen. Yeah. But that could, you know, you could say the same about a state-run operation, and a lot of a lot of the big players that will be in the future space race are going to be state and private partnerships. You know, like the, it may be supported with funding from the state, but it's owned by a private entity. Yeah, you know what I mean. Doesn't Elon Musk strike you guys as kind of a Bond villain figure? He 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 worries me. He's done some pretty amazing things. I know he has. I'm I'm mainly joking, but there's part of me that thinks he's going to build a sonic death ray on the moon and blow up all the poor people on the earth. Yeah, I don't I don't no? get I don't get no, that from him. That? Okay. I don't get it from okay. him. Right. I get that from several people uh, amongst his peers, but no, not him. Really. I don't th- I don't think he's a blow up the poor kind of person, but I I do think he would absolutely institute. Uh, an autocratic technocracy on Mars, similar to what our uh, our guy Marshall Brain told Marshall us. Marshall Brain, that's a fun episode. Mm-hmm. Maybe he and Marshall should get together and get that thing going. Get uh, Google's new algorithms up there. Work with them. Those guys are brilliant. I can't imagine what they would if we put them in a room and just gave them an hour to talk. Mm-hmm. They Well, no, if we put them in a cabin for a weekend, they would come out with some kind of new weird technology. Oh, yeah. I don't, I don't know if I would understand it. I hope it's not a death ray. <laughs> I hope not. But yeah, uh, that's, uh, I think that we're going to see something very much like the Dutch East India Company. Yeah, I can imagine. Leading the charge to space exploration. And we have to, as a species, we have to go to space. Yeah, it'll be like Cerebus. From the Mass Effect universe, the giant, they're a giant private company that mm-hmm. basically ended up being the most powerful thing that existed and the most powerful entity that existed. Mm-hmm. And of course, there's another argument, which is maybe we should just fix the Earth we have before we go try to make make another one. How's that going? Yeah. I mean, you know, ups and downs, mm. mixed results. Yeah. Humanity's still here. The pendulum swings. The pendulum swings. Like Earth is so resilient. It doesn't matter to Earth if human beings are gone. 
There'll just yeah. be some some new iteration that'll take our place. But, you know, collectively, it's kind of cool for us to be here. Well, I, for one, am excited to get to Mars because mm-hmm. there's something there that we can explore that Buzz Aldrin himself has discussed before. Besides this whole thing about seeing aliens or spacecraft or something while he was going to the moon and orbiting, mm-hmm. he also has mentioned a very specific phenomena or a an object that exists on one of Mars' moons, Phobos. It's a monolith. He's talked about it live on air. We should go boldly where man has not gone before. Fly by the comets, visit asteroids, visit the moon of Mars. There's a monolith there, a very unusual structure on this little potato-shaped object that, that goes around Mars once in seven hours. When people find out about that, they're going to say, who put that there? Who put that there? Well, uh, the universe put it there. If you choose, God put it there. There's also a monolith on Mars that has been observed. Uh, And these are two things that I think we should really, really explore. Here's the thing. They're probably natural. You know, if you – we Occam's razor it. They're probably natural rock formations. However, there are two, one on both the planet and the moon. One of the moons of the planet is fascinating to me and Mm. I think we should explore it. And I'm pretty sure Buzz Aldrin believed we should as well. Absolutely. Look, I – that's fascinating to me that he he himself being known for somewhat of – being somewhat of a skeptic would be so interested in this idea and, you know, oh, I wanted to ask this question. I, I can't remember if we asked it before. If offered, would you take a one-way ticket to live on Mars? That's tough, man. With a, you know, with like a cool job. And let's say you knew you wouldn't die on the way. Okay. You could give me some assurances. Yeah. If it had been done, I might do it. <laughs> I would totally do it. I would also – I would be the one who would say, well, we don't have to stop at Mars – you know, I'll I'll just I'll I'll keep going if, if we if you have snacks. Have you guys seen the new Lost in Space uh, reboot? Yeah, not a fan. Not a fan. I'm not. I haven't really gotten that deep into it. The only reason I mentioned it is because there's a whole thing in that show where they all have to take a test, like aptitude tests, mm-hmm. in order to become the the new colonizers of uh, space or the new planet that mm-hmm. they're trying to find because Earth is uh, not doing so well. So what do you think of unidentified flying objects? Are they all mundane? Is there something further at play? Have astronauts actually seen these and later denied them? Or have they been misquoted and mischaracterized in uh, the media on the never-ending hunt for more clicks? We want to know your opinion. So let us know what you think. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. You can also join our community page and meet your fellow conspiracy realist on Here's Where It Gets Crazy on Facebook. And that's the end of this classic episode. If you have any thoughts or questions about this episode, you can get into contact with us in a number of different ways. One of the best is to give us a call. Our number is 1-833-STDWYTK. If you don't want to do that, you can send us a good old-fashioned email. We are Conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz, 
this time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Join late-night legend John Stewart and the best news team for today's biggest headlines, exclusive extended interviews, and more. Now this is a second term we can all get behind. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.